Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and everybody in between, welcome to another episode of the Chaps Chat Cats. See, it's interesting. I've said that the show is in three parts with a half, so I don't know how that exactly works. I was homeschooled. Don't come at me. Math. Math <laughs> is hard sometimes. As my dad used to say, there's only three certainties in life. Death, taxes, and lots of wankers. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. Time travelers, um, if you are a time traveler, please let us know. We've just given Sam two perfect opportunities to call on his wankers of the week. All right, guys. Yeah, let's <laughs> move that, on. Let's move on. Let's that move audio on. delay, the audio delay is horrible. That two seconds being like, oh, there's a pause. Let's like hammer on. I keep saying like an absolute dick because I keep like talking over the top of you guys. I can that. feel just a solitary lonely bead of sweat going down the back of my calf. Like, <laughs> weaving its way from one hair follicle to the next. <laughs> oh, delightful. Oh. Good to be alive. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and everybody in between, it is good to be alive. It's good to be back in the digital podcast studio. My name is Jake Botel and I'm joined as usual by Johnny the Whiplark. And Johnny, how are you? Um, bloody fantastic. That is pretty much usual. How are you? Oh, Botel. I am doing excellently. Your go-to is fantastic, I've noticed. I reckon if we went back and had a look at the show as a whole, it comes out as fantastic a lot of the time. Um, Tuesdays but- are just fantastic. We get to talk about the team we love and a game that we all love as well. So it's why not be fantastic on a great day? It's, it's words to live by Johnny and uh, joining us once again, we're putting that final third rock into the power gauntlet. We're about to click our fingers and wipe out half of humanity. Uh, It is Sam Rig Botel. How are you? Uh, Good gents. Uh, You missed out the principal. I'm I'm a, I'm a bit upset that you didn't go principal rig with my, reintroduction but i'll let it i'll let it it slide this once poor job uh, i'll tell the marketing manager the friends and it's okay (laughs) i like it he's coming out straight off the bat keeping us on our toes here john straight off um (laughs) well as we must have gotten a bit lax and a bit lazy with just a duo so with the trio back we, we we need to get we switched on with the principal wig right. now. He will, uh... I feel like I earned that principal. And I... <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Let me take a second crack at this. Joining us again once uh, <laughs> more, it is Sam Principal Rig Botel. How are you? Uh, good. Just just rigs fine. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Power move. Um... Just make sure you edit out. That first part, yeah, that's... we'll all be fine. <laughs> I'll I feel like you. you knew that was coming. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a uh, hand pass in the square. Um, so, uh, obviously, welcoming you back to the pod and now uh, a two-time best and father winner uh, with your uh, second lad arriving safely into the world. Um, first of all, right, how was... Two future podcast members. That's right. The empire grows. This is probably not a cult. Um, and uh, off the bat, how how's things? And I would love uh, your scouting report on 
two-child parenting thus far into the process? Uh, it's overall, it's good. <laughs> it's it, it's it's uh, tiring but rewarding, as I'm sure every cliche will tell you. Um, <laughs> and by scouting report, do you mean <laughs> just do you mean it. just on the whole thing in general, or am I, or am I t- trying to tell you the uh, the potential skills of the of the two oh, new? Recruits? No, no. Let, let's get let's just get a letter grade. Where are you? You know, from your A A. They're po- both they're both hockey enforcers. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, your your own your own personal uh, double parenting performance on on a sliding scale from F through to A plus. Where where are you grading yourself? Of, of how I'm doing. Yeah, how are you doing? Of how I'm. Yeah. Oh, A plus, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you got to have that belief to to even take it on in yeah. the first place. You got to have the belief. I feel, I feel like. Someone else should be doing my scouting report. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're just, we're just we're, I know you're, you know, you have principles, so you wouldn't possibly um, bullshit us on that. So, um, no. a, a plus uh, dadski material here. It's good to be, have you back on the show. And um, good feedback. Just bloody good to be talking footy again. We've got lots to dig into. We've got the last game of the AFLW season for the Mighty Cats. We've got week two of the men's season to talk about. Bit of a uh, cracker of a game in that one. And everything in between, really. Got a bit of uh, news to do. A little bit of VFLW stuff. We've got a little bit of an interview to play you uh, in the middle section of the podcast. Um, And let's get into it. Let's get straight off the bat with episode number 10, reviewing famous players to have worn the 10 for the Cats. This is a bit of a new tradition we've started. So I'll just, I'll, I'll throw it over to you, gents. Any players in the number 10 that you can think of off the top for the Cats? Well, I do have the list of players oh, to wear to number 10 for the John, Cats. Well, give us some of your highlights then, John. Uh, there's only a couple there that I do, I have seen playing. Um, that is Daniel Menzel, the great player who came in for the Cats in 2011 who unfortunately did his knee in the uh, 2011 prelim, mm. wasn't able to play in the grand final. And then after that, just never was able to play well again for the Cats. Like knee, I think he had four knee reconstructions yeah. and I think he played another few games, but just just wasn't the same for the Cats. And then he went off to Sydney and I think just, just the four knee re- reconstructions just really took the toll. Um, which was really unfortunate because he was a great player for the Cats and he looked like he was going to do something special at Sydney, but I think his body just failed. And so it was unfortunate that I believe he has finished his AFL career, which is really unfortunate because, yeah, he was... If he hasn't, Johnny's just totally written him if off. If he hasn't, John's I've John's totally written him off. I've given him the hook. <laughs> <laughs> as, um, as we are Victorians, we have no idea what... The hell goes on in the interstate clubs. So <laughs> I could be completely wrong. You can only see so much through yeah. that one eye. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But um, I haven't heard his name called in any Swans games or on the list. Uh, yeah, but as I say, Victorian, we know bullshit all about the other teams. And um, the other player that I have seen is. A new recruit for the Cats is Ben Jarvis. Who is, Jarvis. Nice of him. Um, got a reference there. Yeah, Ben Jarvis. 
Yeah, he hasn't played many games yet, and <laughs> I think he played one game last year um, yeah. against Richmond. That when, sounds, um, yeah. So, yeah. Right. so I think he's um, <laughs> still got time to come in and do something for the Cats, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely, and we can whip through. Uh, there's also Kane Tenace, who you would have seen play, um, but featured mm-hmm. intermittently in those premiership years for the Catters, Kane Tenace. If we cast our eye back through history, we've got Percy Scown, 121 games back in the early 1900s. Harry Marsham uh, cracked a ton in the number 10 as well in the same sort of era. Jack Collins and Alan Everett in the 1930s and 40s. Fred Flanagan, 163 games and 182 goals from 1946 to 55. Mike Woolnow, John Mossop, they repped the number across the 70s and 80s, each clearing 100 games. And then obviously you get to yeah, Dan Menzel and... Uh, the the uh, modern crop, but we've got to cast our eyes too to the AFLW side of things. And one of Sam's favourite players uh, in the AFLW, um, I think I'm reading yes. correctly, Georgie Rankin wears the number 10 in the AFLW. What yeah, is... I've said, said it before, um, but we I remember that, that game we went to see live um, just before we weren't able to go and see any more games for a long time. Um <laughs> Uh, I remember Rankin was one of the ones we sort of picked out as being um, really, really good, really, really solid and um, just a genuine contender in any contest she's in. Mm. Absolutely. One of the uh, one of the real contributors in that side. And, and as you rightly pointed out um, many episodes back, Sam, knows when it's her time to do the thing and knows when to allow the space for others. I think that stood out as a pretty... Yeah, has, it, has a good read of the game. Mm. All right. Well, while we're on the look at look at this for a transition, while we're on the topic of AFLW, let's talk week nine for the Cats. They went up to the Gold Coast to play the winless Suns. This was a battle to avoid the wooden spoon. One of these teams was going to go home with a victory. One of them was going to go home with the old wooden spoon ski. The Cats, well, both teams came out and... Um, I've just totally cocked that one up off the top. Reading the wrong sentence. I've just, I've, I'm nowhere near where I needed to be in my recap. So let me, let me have a crack at that one. I'll, and I'll leave that in because I'm a genius. How serious person. was it? How, how far away were we? <laughs> Probably a ways off. A ways off. Um, so right, wrong, take two. wrong book or wrong page? Like how far? <laughs> uh, no, just wrong page. Um, Okay. So look, obviously, Cats came in with the motivation to avoid going winless. No one wants to go 0-9. And, and whether it was that motiva- motivational spice or not, the <laughs> I, 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 had a, I had a bloody rocky start to the show last week too, John. Oh, you I did. wait for the comments about how shit your Australian accent is. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Why can't, why can't they hire real Australians? Yeah, that's right. He's bloody, yeah. All right, let's, let's uh, cut right, it short. Push here. On, Basically, push the, on. the Cats came into the game with their claws out, dominating the opening period of the game with 24 tackles to 12 and kicking out to a 20-1 to 1 lead at the first change. McWilliams, Cranston and Karras all gold, with Karras's goal coming off the back of a free kick and a 50-metre penalty on the siren of quarter time. We were finally on the right side of one of those uh, penalty calls 
The second quarter, well, that devolved into more of an arm wrestle with more footy played between the 50-meter arcs. The Suns snagged the lone goal of that term, but the Cats still walked away up at the half, 3-3-21 to 1-3-9. The third quarter, well, that started much in the same fashion before back-to-back -back goals from Barber and Cranston pushed Geelong's lead out to 33-15. to A free kick plus a 50-meter penalty shortly after, well, there's one back the other way, uh, cut the Cats' lead at the break to 12 points, 33 to 21. The final quarter, another arm wrestle of an affair as the Suns looked to overturn that 12-point margin, but it was the Catters who held firm and ultimately extended the lead with an absolute cracker of a snap from Becky Webster on the final siren to bring the curtain down on the Cats' campaign with a W, Geelong ending their season on a high with a 6-5-41 to 3-6-24 victory. Up north, your thoughts, Johnny Larkin. First of all, what a fantastic victory for the Cats. Um, just inspiring by the girls and just what we needed to end the season on and hopefully launch into 2022 on some good momentum for the girls. Um, but yeah, it was just a good game overall. They really wanted that win. You could tell both sides definitely wanted that win. And the Cats just wanted it more. We had so many opportunities again going forward. We, I think we could have won that game by a whole lot more. But again, we just, just that link up just isn't quite there, but it's so close, Barber, again. How fantastic did she play on? Just so close. So many marks just slipped through her hands. But mm. when she did grab them, she held on tight and didn't let go. So it's, as I say, keep saying, it's only a matter of time before she becomes a dominant full forward and just crashes packs, takes spectacular marks. Um, yeah, I thought overall it was a really good game. Our defense, defensive work was fantastic. Again, as I think it has been all year, midfield was really good again. Um, and mid attack was um, still a bit to work on there, a bit of our execution and just we get so many poor inside 50s. I think we just need to work on inside 50 conversions and just the efficiency there. But overall, just fantastic. Can't complain about much in the game. It was an arm wrestle all the way through Gold Coast. Sort of got on top in that second and third and started the fourth quarter. They really mm. were driving, trying to get that win and really punishing their defence. And similar similar issues to the Cats where they get so many inside 50s, but they just can't finish it off. They can't get that mark or the ball just bounces the wrong way. It's, I think they're in a very, very similar boat similar boat as the Cats. They've got a lot of talent, a lot of good players. It's just a working together to make it gel. And fortunately for us, the Cats got there first and gelled really well. And Sini players played really well. Rocky Cranston played a really good game. Amy McDonald, again, just dominant in the midfield. Julie Crockett-Briels was just, again, just... Fantastic. I don't think I've seen her play a bad game. Mm. But the best part of the game, and I think 
we all could say it was the great best part of seeing that game was them seeing them sing that John Cat song that was just chills down the spine and you wanted to get up and sing along with them. They sung it with so much gusto and so much pride and the emotion was there and it was just fantastic to see that all that effort over the nine games over this whole year um, just came out in that one moment. It was just bloody fantastic to see and just I would watch that again and be like, yeah, that's the same feeling again. It's just mm. Um, spine chilling. It's feel like fantastic. Feel like we needed some bloody epic music there. That was, that was yeah. Awesome. Build, awesome. Building up through it. Yeah, it's only some one of Aragorn's speeches in Lord of the Rings. Or yeah. uh, I don't think it was that good. <laughs> it's not this day, but, but it was. It was. It was. It, yeah, I just I couldn't hide the smile on my face, and I was nearly jumping up and. Uh, it was just so good to see all their effort was finally rewarded. Absolutely. It was a reward for all that effort. Um, Sambo, what were your thoughts on the game? Um, yeah, what were your takeaways? I mean, yeah, Johnny Johnny spectacularly covered, covered it all. Um, I don't have a lot to add. Um, the the song was great, wasn't it? It was kind of like the, the, re- the release. Like it was, I feel like the... On on field, you sort of saw that in the the in the moment um, sort of peak of them working together, and the sort of the realization that it was working, and the confidence that that just instantaneously clicked. Because although Cranston did have a good good game, I feel like for the first bit, she was very much still where we all felt she was for the rest of the season. Um, sort of just that, that sort of body language thing that sort of slumped posture and like not getting up out of the out of the contest and running to your spot just sort of like walking you know it's 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 a real mentality thing and then you saw as 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 the game you know evidently was going in a certain way um she just lifted and absolutely played out of her skin um which was really good to see um it was yeah, would, I I don't know where you guys sit in terms of how much it was the opponents in terms of like obviously it was the it was the battle to see who was the 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 keeper of the crypt more or less, mm-hmm. um you know <laughs> the, the, the the battle the battle for the mausoleum supremacy. Um, so with, with that in mind, from my perspective, the Eternal Optimist, I felt like it was the best game, and that first quarter was possibly the best quarter that we've played and all those things that we asked for, the link-ups, the, the vision, not getting in each other's way, try the, 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 uh, the effort um, from top to bottom from all the players all over the field uh, was all there. So from my point of view, it was not so much about who we were playing. Of course, the result could have been differently against a different team, but how do you guys feel about that? How much do you think it was the cats playing out of their skin versus us playing the opposition that was in such a similar spot to us. Do you, you go, Johnny? I'll go. Um, yeah, I think it was just the cats playing with a, that knowledge that, yeah, the Suns are in a similar spot. Mm. You no, know, no, they've been through the same. And it, it would give a bit of confidence. And yeah, we we're in for a real good chance. And I think that did just give them confidence over the mm. game as it went on. And 
yeah, I think it was just the belief in the Cats system, the Cats game that really got them over the line. And I don't, I think the Suns would have thought the same going into mm. the game. And, but yeah, I think it's definitely just the Cats. I don't think it was anything That's against true. the Suns. It was just the Cats playing the way they've wanted to play and it all mm. clicked. You do raise a good point, though, of the belief. Sorry, Jake. Sorry. No, no um, you go. You go. Uh, I was just going to say that, like, the belief of, I feel like that's something we mentioned all the way back in episode two or three or whatever it was, the um, the comparison to where we used to play soccer in Benalla and the losing mentality that seeps in and you, yep. start, you start eking out small victories of, we didn't let this through this many goals. We actually got a goal ourselves. You know, no one got red carded, blah blah blah. Like these are all the things you measured. Which <laughs> that one? Sorry, that one never happened. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, no one got red carded this week because Jake got suspended last week. Jake's already gone. <laughs> Jake's um, gone. Yeah, so you you measure you measure your your sales by such small little victories, which can be good, but overall you can get stuck in the rut. And I do think you raised the point that it's not necessarily that we played a bad team because as you said, they're not a bad team. Um, but I think it was the belief that it could work that made all those things click. It's just, it, I guess it's, it's a bit of a bummer at the end of the day that a lot of the results earlier in the season could have been different if that belief had been instilled earlier. Uh, back to you, Jake. Yeah. I was just going to say there's a couple of one point I was sort of thinking as you guys were, were talking there about, you know, how things have looked across this season for the women's team, you know, and, and what this result means. And, you know, one thing that came to mind that was in, in the notes for the show was that this is such a young, talented team. And just because you've got talent doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to mentally be able to put yourself in the position to make use of your talent on the field. And I feel like what we've seen is the real, um, that belief allowed the talent to take center stage. If you look at the Cats draft, right? This was the draft in October, 2020. So this is the draft crop from this season. Darcy Maloney, Laura Gardner, Olivia Barber, Stephanie Williams, and Carly Ramos. Now all those girls have played this season, Olivia Barber's seen significant game time. I think Stephanie Williams saw two or three games. Carly Remus might have been two or three. Darcy Maloney's two or three. Laura Gardner, who I'm going to get to a bit later, um, it has played three games. So, so much youth in this team. They're such a young team. And like I say, the talent level for me is so high. I think what has been lacking is that, that team cohesion and the belief that that they can get it done as a team. And I think that was something that was new, regardless of who they were playing on the weekend. I think you saw them. We saw, we said this in one other game this season. And I can't remember if it was the first half of the saints game this year, when we said, Oh, I think they've had a mental step forward here to realize I can play and take the game on in the AFLW like I could at the Bush Rangers or like I could when I was playing for the Falcons or like I was playing in, you know, VFLW. I, I can, the same principles apply, take the game on and put the opposition under pressure. And I thought that's what the Cats came out and did superbly in this game was come out of the gate hard 
and attack the game, run and carry, a bit of dash and dare. And I think that just put the Suns on the back foot. And then the talent level of the Cats came to the fore. That's kind of, I guess, a takeaway for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, agree with you 100% there. But all those names that, that you listed off for the draft, mm. they've all, I think, I think they've all at least once got in our top three um, players of the week. And yeah, that's exciting that they've got such a good base of fantastic youth mm. to build up. And I'm excited. It's it's exciting to see. I think I'll say it nearly every week. It's so exciting to see what these girls can do and bring for the John Cats and to, again, start making another fantastic um, dynasty or another part of a great club. And, you know, it's only a matter of time. I thought, too, there were some nice moments. I don't know what you guys thought, but, like, where they were actually kind of cleaner in in some of the big moments and inside the 50 like you know a big spot sometimes for the cats this year in the aflw has been you know in front of goal and what impressed me most about olivia barber's game was the fact she went back and slotted that set shot for goal you know rocky cranston kicked two really nice goals like I think they they kicked really well from the set shot and and it makes such Mm. a massive difference when you when you take those chances You know, like I, I just think that that lift, <laughs> it it lifts a team. You know, it instead does. of seeing opportunities go by the wayside, that you know that 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 you're putting those chances through, and it puts the pressure right back um, on the opposition. Do, yeah. What, um... If you look back at the season, what do you guys think about weeks one through nine? Where are you at with the growth of the team? And do you think they are in a good spot going into the off-season and going into next year? Um, I think after a good win on the last game, it's going to really inspire them and really give them that drive to come back next year and be even better. So I think it was a disappointing season for them. I think they'll look back and say they could have done better here and there. But I think the win in the last game to really give them that desire and that drive to really train harder, push harder and just improve themselves for next year. So I think it's really on the upside. Um, I can't see any downside to the Cats. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's all uphill from here and I can't, yeah, I don't think, I don't think um, they're going to take too much negative stuff into next year. I think they'll mainly focus on the good stuff. And of course, when you finish a game, finish a year on a on a big win and a win, as McDonald said, felt like another game that was at a different part of the year, it does instill a lot of belief that you can do it. And it's it's yeah, it's gonna be good. Looking forward to it. Yeah, and I think specifically comparing it to week one i think they might not be there 100 percent yet in every department but every every sort of thing that we've sort of mentioned or you know you guys as well when i haven't been here have been mentioning i think are the things that have clicked that they've worked on um uh the uh, pressure all the time 
um, you know, not not allowing an easy an easy get for the opposition, the link ups from midfield into the forward fifty, and as you say, Jake, the convert the conversion uh, rate, you know, taking taking those chances, not only making the chances, not only stopping the ball in defence and getting it to the midfield, but the midfield then being able to get it in, and then the uh, uh, forwards being able to convert i think those sort of pillars are the things that we always felt were a bit shaky and it just seemed to all click in that last game um so comparing it to yeah like looking forward obviously there's things to work on but comparing it to week one of this season i think it's night and day yeah absolutely i think that's a that's a ripper point um so are you guys ready to uh, name your best players for the week your three twos and ones Yes. Yeah, I think so. Um, also, it was going to be a shame not to see Astro Connor yes, playing again in the that's hoops. That's a great point. Also, so it was great to see a victory on her last game in mm. AFLW. Mm. She, uh, she was a great player for us this year and all the best for her AFL or for her life after AFLW. And hope, um, I hope that she sticks around the Cats and does some coaching or something because. Yeah, I think should be it great. must. It must be such a, a bittersweet feeling, like looking forward to. Sorry to railroad, uh, take us on the railroad a little bit, um, just because I, I was thinking when I was watching it, uh, and I mentioned it to to Loz, I sort of said that it must be hard because the AFLW is obviously on the up and up, and it, there's no question that it's just going to keep going up. For those, so for those players who are like you know founding ground level members who have who have you know, got it to this point and retiring before it's like, before it's got there, you know, when it, when it is to that point where they're, where they're paid and it's, it's got gotten the respect that it, you know, a hundred percent fucking deserves now. Mm. Um, it's obviously going to be a proud moment for those kinds of players. Um, but it's also going to be a little bit, yeah, bittersweet to go to know that how hard you worked and how little you got back, I guess. How 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 much of an uphill struggle it was. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, I didn't want to put too much of a downer on it, but I did think that would be that would be tough to look at in in mm-hmm. five years. You know, two, five, ten years time, whenever it is, to go. Oh, yeah, I started that, and it's 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 here now. But yeah, I had to bow out because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, to go back on that working hard after talking to um. The play that we talked to yesterday, mm. it it definitely sounds like it was ex- it's extremely hard work to get where all these girls are. Like the amount mm. of effort that has gone into to get where they are now is just extraordinary, and it's all just because they love the game, and that's they're making a forging a path for so many other young girls. And it's mm. as you said, it would be a very be a very uh, proud moment for all of those girls, but also, yeah, mm. be that bittersweet moment just going only if AFLW started a couple few years earlier. But, yeah, or yeah. or even even less, even if it did start when it did start. Probably the 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 the, the real thing is that if only all the dickheads and naysayers had got out of the way earlier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, um, because you just, you know, again speaking about what what they go through for the for the love of the game people in other sports and other areas of established leagues 
just take for granted how, yeah, it's hard to make a team, it's hard to develop skills, it's hard to put in the work, but there's already a framework laid out for how you'll do that, for how you will go from this point to being in, in, in this league or whatever. Whereas with, with a sport like this um, and a league like this, it's all being built as you're trying to build yourself. So the, you know, you, you reach, you can reach the ceiling and be pushing the ceiling up as you go. Um, if that makes sense. I think, I think people take for granted that it's obviously a really hard thing to get into the AFLM um, or any other big sporting league, but you do take for granted that it's, yeah, that there is that, that the groundwork is laid that you have a path to follow. Um, and you're not doing anything that people tell you you shouldn't be doing or can't do <laughs> in broad, broad strokes. I'm sure there's people that have faced that, you know, I'm sure it's yeah. uh, been interesting for some of the men that come from overseas and, you know, th- those kinds of things. I'm sure they've had struggles too, but again, it's still coming to such an established thing an accepted thing. So it still just isn't the same as what a lot of these girls will have experienced. Yeah, well, I mean, there's like you said, there's established pathways. There's a there's a there's a yeah. roadmap laid out. Um, yeah, it's going to be. I'm really, I'm quite sad to be saying goodbye to the AFLW for the rest of the year. I've really enjoyed covering it, and I'm I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm keen to do some draft coverage for this. I'm keen to dig into you know, the VFLW and cover that and, and really get my head around, you know, what players maybe the Cats can look to bring in and all that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm heavily invested in this team and, and um, yeah, can't mm, wait. Yeah, to yeah, yeah me too. I'd, I'd love to do that. I want to – obviously, you guys have been carrying the podcast and and such, but as, as much as I, I um, can have a say and have a vision for it, I don't I, – yeah, I definitely didn't want it to feel like – the AFLW was the pregame for the AFLM. Yeah, exactly. Which I think yeah. it, can, it can instantly come across because it's before and it's shorter and it's over and it's, you know, I, I think I think you guys have done a really good job and I think we should continue, as you say, to do the job of not, not dismissing it and going, okay, like moving on, like really, really covering it and, and building our, our excitement as much as for people, other people, but building our excitement for the next season by not letting it sort of slip slip under the rug again for a bit yeah, yeah for definitely sure. um i've definitely got a whole new appreciation for it um doing this pod but obviously mm. when the cats did first come in i was always excited to see the cats team mm. women's team coming to the competition and then when we started this pod up it was just like yeah that extra bit of just excitement to know that we get to tour how uh, we can you know day, this day and age we can chat about a team that we all love and just it's pretty fantastic and yeah just mm-hmm. it's giving me another whole new level of appreciation for a game and call the people who have made this competition um viable and the AFL has have done a great job so far and hopefully they keep doing a great job and bringing in the new teams and expanding this competition out to uh, full 18 teams and a whole 18 to 20 game season, which is one thing I think everyone can agree would be the aim. And I, fingers crossed it happens soon because I've really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I don't think 
I want to keep talking about the girls who are part of this team in the VFLW and just just um, get it out there and expand the audience of this great game that is AFL. Yeah, mm. I, I read a really great article actually, uh, which you can find on ABC um, by Kate O'Halloran. Um, where she talked about the success, you know, how exciting the final round of AFLW as a whole has been and how many finals implications there were and that sort of thing. Um, And she really addresses in that the need for a longer season, that it can't just be, you know, this curtain raiser event that they deserve. Um, I I believe her uh, stance in the article was that you know what we should be aiming for at minimum is a season where all 14 teams play each other once you know at at the very least and then you flip it so the teams you played at home this year you play away next year and vice versa and i think uh, i think that it's a really good article anyway and, and someone who i'd love to try and reach out to and get on the podcast because um she also hosted um or hosts a radio show uh, kick like a girl fm uh, and you know, writes and speaks a lot about yes. yeah, w- women's footy and and that sort of thing. So I would love to have her on the podcast. Um, I th- so I think on a whole, sorry to yeah, no, no, go go. Oh, I'm just kept going on, but I think on a whole, the AFLW and the AFLM, I think I think it should all just be played play one team once each year. Just have you know, play them once. That's it. And um, I think the, especially the AFLM, I think can sometimes drag on a bit, especially when it gets later on in the season. So I think why not just play everyone once, then it's done. It often it loses, competition. loses me around the bye. You know, the, the middle of the mm. season, you get that like three weeks where you've got some teams playing, some teams not. I agree with you. Why not just have a, a you know, what would it be a 17 week season or, or my other alternative would be, you know, do an 18 game season with an extra rivalry game or something, you know, with one of yeah. your arch rivals or a classic rival. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Johnny. I, I don't think there's a need to keep pushing up the number of games. I think it already sometimes feels a bit bloated once you've got a few teams that are out of the running and injuries mount up. So uh, yeah, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, and that's, Sorry, I was going to just say on. I was that's a question I was going to ask is like the injury risk of the longer season getting worse, and therefore injury risk of losing big players for finals, which is bad for money, bad for the sport, bad for the clubs. Uh, in which case, they end up resting the players, and you get these weird games where they're kind of like not really like full force teams anyway, because they're like, well, the finals, we're we're shooting for the finals, we'll run the you know, we'll run the B squad kind of thing. Like, mm. I feel like that's, you know, it's, it's weird. It is weird when, yeah, you do get these that towards the end of the season where half the teams are fighting for their life and then half the teams are going, oh, well, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's save it for finals sort of thing. Um, I don't know that it would eliminate it going a shorter season, but it certainly it could. Yeah, and it certainly can't hurt, I don't think. And, and you know, we had an 18 round home and away season last year with COVID and that was mm-hmm. perfectly exciting perfectly entertaining no, was, um, how exciting was it it was great so no yeah. I think that's a fair call uh do you lads want to get onto some player votes for this one do you reckon have we have yes let's let's around? I think let's right. go on <laughs> all right uh well I'll uh I'll run through mine off the top 
for you. This is a big week for the um, top three. Massive That's... week. Massive, massive week. week. Particularly because... That's good. I haven't really kept track of it because oh. so I'm like, who knows? I won't know. I'm not I'm not even I'll, trying to influence it. I'll tell so you. Let's, I'll... let's see if I throw a cat amongst the pigeons. Do you want to know the no, standings think... going in or we just keep no, it I think we, uh I think we keep saying uh, the right. principal wig. Wig. Ah. <laughs> principal <Rig>. wig. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All um, right. I like that one better. Yeah. All right. <laughs> let's crack into it then. I am going with my one vote. I am going to go Amy McDonald with my one. Um, uh, relentless effort as always. You know, part of the what I'm referring to is the steel mill midfield. We've got so many, you know, chicks in that midfield who are like, you know, grab your hard hat and go on down to the mine and get some bloody tackling uh, done. Like they are just such a hard working, um, industrious bunch. And she's just you know, one of those who puts in week in, week out. So Amy McDonald with my one vote. Um, then I have moved on in my notes. I have my two votes going to Julia Crockett Grills, another member of the Steel Mill midfielders. Uh, you know, laid a bunch of tackles again this week. Um doesn't get like an enormous amount of the footy, but what she does with it is impressive. And I think she's one of those players that gets a lot of stats that that don't register as stats. You know, the little knock-ons, the, the, the handball that maybe doesn't get seen at the bottom of the pack that gets it out to someone on the outside. I think Julia Crocker-Grills is, is super impressive. My three votes, I am giving to a player who has only played three games this season. She debuted in round four. Uh, and then didn't come back until round eight. And that is Laura Gardner. Um, Laura Gardner this week, she's racked up, uh, where are we? 18 disposals, two marks, and seven tackles. And that's after last week against Mm -hmm. the Giants where she had 17 disposals and 11 tackles. So I think Laura Gardner... Um, just a sensational up-and-coming player, and she gets my three votes this week. And I'll throw to you, Johnny. Right, um, my one vote goes to our up-and-coming full forward beast, Olivia Barber. That's nice. just again, that's... Oh, wait, so nickname. Good. Nickname. We've got to come up with a street in Geelong. Yeah. You steal the Sweeney Todd, Sweeney Todd, oh. the demon barber. Of- oh, <laughs> yes. yes, yes, absolutely. Nice. That's I great. like it. Well, we'll have to we'll have to do some thinking for the perfect street. Yes, um, yeah, um, the demon barber. That's my one vote. <laughs> I was going with it. <laughs> well done. I like um, it a lot. My two votes is going to Amy McDonald. I just feel like she played, again, a fantastic game. She's stepped up every week, um, tackles, gets the ball in and under all the time, just just has that will to get the ball and get that win for the Cats. And, like again, she just played really well. And my three votes goes yet again to Juliet Crockett-Grills. She just came out. On fire, like she didn't stop playing since last week against the Giants. She just monstered so many Gold Coast players, hard tackles, 
and just got the ball. It was just fantastic. And again, just, I don't think I've seen her play a bad game. She's just been so consistent throughout the entire year. And it's very glad that she's on the cat's side. Mm. Absolutely. What about Over you? The Rika. Uh, all right. Uh, mine. Uh, oh, shit. Sorry. I just, I just lost them. <laughs> all right. I, down, I just lost the document. I, I need some rag um, on piano yeah. for vamping. Yeah. yeah. That's all right. I can remember them. Uh, <laughs> I give up. Uh, my one vote goes to Phoebe McWilliams. Oh, beautiful. Um, Kick nice. the kick, kick the opener if I remember correctly, but it was it was a long yeah. time ago for Dad Brain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the start of this pod, I mean, when Jake recapped it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then my two votes go to Webster. Nice. Uh, I, thought, I thought played a really really solid game. Just seemed to be in amongst everything. Uh, um, Ripper goal as well. Yes, yeah, and uh, but just another of those players, um, a little bit like Croc Grills, that just just seems to be in, in amongst everything and always there, always uh, making her body count, letting people know she's there, um, and having a really red hot go of it. Um, and my three votes goes to Crockett Grills. So oh. <laughs> she's she's done well for herself today. She awesome. was on a hot streak since yeah. last week. Mm. So all right then. Um, this is an in- interesting one. We've we've had a bit of a late run, is what I'll say. We've had a bit of a. a, a bit We're going to assume that's Crockett Grills. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit, of, a bit of a late run for the championship. Um, will I count backwards from five up to uh, up to one? I'll, yeah, I'll, count I'll go, backwards. I'll go from four. I'll go for our top four. So in, in fourth place with 18 votes across the season, it is Becky Webster. Oh, nice. In third place with 20 votes and coming home strong was Julia Crocker Grills. So she's oh, third with 20. Okay. Meg McDonald. Is the second place player with 21 votes and a player who polled every single week except for week one. Amy McDonald takes out the inaugural Chat Chat Cat ah. AFLW MVP with 26 votes from nine. <laughs> she was almost on mine too. I mean, it's worth noting that this is a week where it could have gone Cranston. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Either of the either of the McDonald's, um, yeah, there was just so many players all over the park that put in so much effort. So, um, yeah, well done, to well Amy done, McDonald. We're going to have to get a trophy, a medal, or something, and send it her way. That's right, absolutely. And um, just for posterity, just want to play Megatron sound drop one more time. Megatron, 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 Megatron. Um, so yeah, great, great year for Amy McDonald. Like I said, I think she was the only player in our voting who polled all but one week. Um, so, so an impressive effort, 
But Crockett Grills, how's this down the stretch? Last two weeks, she polled 14 votes from two games. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, I think she really wanted to get our MVP. I, I think. think so, <laughs> yeah. so close. Yeah. yeah. You put in a good effort, but sorry. That's <laughs> not quite good enough. Next year. Uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, probably probably before we move on, should also give a shout out to uh, Meg for going up forward after the injury. Oh, yeah. yes. I was going to say she was a, a true Transformer and Megatron. <laughs> yeah. After that injury. After after a namesake transformed into a pistol and tried to shoot some goals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although that's that's an old reference to the old eighties cartoon. Anyone that's only watched the new movies <laughs> won't know that uh, <laughs> that Megatron used to uh, used to transform into a pistol, not a car. <laughs> some some uh, Transformers deep cuts here from Sam. <laughs> Absolutely, but I like it. Um, maybe maybe that's what we can spend an off season episode doing. Uh, which which Transformer would different cats players be? Um, all right, so we now move on to the AFL M game. We've got a long way to go. Oh, um, what a what a game that was! The Cats defeated the Lions in this game, twelve nine eighty one to eleven fourteen eighty. I'll give you the story, and then I'm going to throw to you to start us off, Sambo. Geelong came out of the gates hard. They kicked five of the first six goals of the game against the Lions. Took a 33-17 to 17 lead at the first change. The second quarter, bit of an arm wrestle. The Lions failing to convert multiple chances for goal as the teams contested for the advantage around the ground. The Cats extended their lead by just the four points at the half, leading 53-33. to 33. After halftime, Jordan Clark came out and goaled on the run just 32 seconds into the term. And at that point, it seemed as though the Cats might break the backs of the travelling Brisbane team. But that was not how things panned out, as the Lions rallied and kept pace with Geelong in the third, going goal for goal with the home side to keep the margin at just 21 points entering the final stanza, and then launched an assault to try and steal the game late. Brisbane kicked four goals in a row in the fourth quarter to seize the lead late, setting up a frenetic and hotly contested last period of play. Hugh McLuggage might have sealed the deal in the 19th minute, but could only produce a behind which allowed for the Mighty Cats to set up for the win. A Tom Hawkins handball out of the ruck to Isaac Smith, who snapped truly from the right forward pocket, brought the Geelong crowd roaring to its feet. And as the Cats weathered a late Brisbane surge to hold on for a one-point victory, the siren sounded, the crowd went nuts, 12-9-81 to 11-14-80. Sambo, your initial thoughts and takeaways from the AFL M Week 2 fixture. Uh, it was a weird one. <laughs> yes. It was a it was a weird one. A weird game. And the first the first time um I've watched both games, like the AFLW and then the AFL M so close together. Yeah. Um because I just went straight through and watched them and it was, you know, highlighted some differences in the two games in general. Um my god, the men stop a lot more. There's there's a lot more whistles in the men's. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which obviously is especially true on the weekend, I'm sure. But I think in general, it's true as well. Um, they tend to 
I could be wrong, but from my from my my purview, the teams that they let they let the women the women's run on a little bit more when they can. Yeah. Um, and also, it was just a, such a different experience from the the AFLW to be the final game of the season and like us to get our first win of the season. It was so like climactic and satisfying. Um, and then kind of like bled straight into the first half of the AFLM because <laughs> we came out gunning. Uh, and then it sort of descended into anarchy for the, the second half in, in so many, so many different levels. Um, and I felt, I felt, yeah, I felt that pang of like, why do I watch sport again? In that last, <laughs> in that last quarter. I was so happy. I was so happy when I was, um, yeah, it was, it was some stressful stuff that last quarter. Um, oh. I don't, it's hard oh. to, I think, I think, I guess I'll come out with more analysis as we talk about it. I feel like there's so many layers to it. It's sort of hard to bring up each element because there's, you know, the way we played, there was the, the aggression. There was obviously stuff happening mm. off the ball, verbally, physically, in the huddles. There was a lot of, a lot of umpiring. There was this whole sense that we were in a mirror universe watching a game that could have easily been going the other way the whole time. Cause although we, we steamrolled them out of the gate, which was great. The, the lion's conversion rate had this weird sense of me going, I've, I've been here. I remember watching, watching the cats being this team. Um, yeah, it was, it was yeah. I, I don't have any concise wrap up, but it was a weird one. They were, they were my general thoughts for now. What about you, Johnny? Yeah, it was, as I said, as we talked about last week, Mooch on the pod, that it was going to be a tough and physical game. And boy, oh boy, wowee, to quote the group, Brian Taylor, it was tough and boy, was it physical. Did you just cut off great? Did you say the good? Yeah, I did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, I did. The week. Good call. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I nearly said, I was like, no, I won't say it. I caught it. Yeah, <laughs> you caught it. Uh, yeah, um, there was tough. Oh, and it was very physical and um, just ferocious. Both teams obviously came off dis- um, in their views, disappointing losses the week before. They both wanted to show up and prove that they are worthy of final spots and they both played it like that way and the cats obviously got to jump early on and then the lions came back at us and then we got back at them and it was a very up and down game and fortunately we came away with the w after some very dodgy umpiring but i don't care we cats fans we won who cares Brisbane Lion fans cares. I'm sure the Brisbane Lions will definitely care, but um, that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. But yeah, I thought it was, it was a, as Sam said, it was a nerve wrecking game. And it's like, why, what, this is, why do you follow sport? And then when you do get the victory, you're like, yeah, that's why. But you're still like, ah, just, it's does very that, nervous sometimes. Is that shot that I loved? Um, you know, I think the cats were, there was a ball up or the kicking out. They were deep in their own defense, I, I think. 
right at the end and it was a shot looking back up down the length of Cadinia Park as the siren sounded and you literally saw, you know, however many thousand Cats fans like stand up out of their seats. I don't know if you guys <laughs> saw that, but it was like the gladiators in Spartacus or something. Like everyone just stood up, <laughs> and these scarves went up and it was just this roar. Um, I do. I, I think we should I mean, talk to add, about... To add to the weirdness, sorry, I, I completely yeah. forgot to add to my initial rant. The whole COVID thing as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, it was just a bizarre night. It was, it bizarre, was night. bizarre night. Like, I remember getting on and I got a message from you, Mesh, going, oh, the game might not, not go ahead. And yeah. the Lions fans had been kicked out. It's like, what the, what the hell is going on here? And it was... Well, the radio, the radio night. call that I was listening to are a pack of jokers because they, they continue, oh, from what we're hearing, the game is not going to go ahead. And then the next thing I hear, the siren goes and the ball's bouncing, we're away. And yeah. you know, every yeah. time this radio, I can't remember which station I was listening to, but they were saying, oh, it's definitely, you know, the game will probably be called off a quarter time. That's what we're hearing. The game rolls on. Oh, it'll probably be yeah. called time. <laughs> the game rolls on. I do want to get to... Johnny. Maybe they really just wanted to get out of there. They were just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Johnny, you brought it up, and I think we should get into it now. Let's get this bit out of the way. The Mark Blixarves call, I'll just tee you guys up, and then you have at it. All I want to say, because I had plenty to say last week about Dangerfield and stuff, for me, where I'm sitting, this was pretty cut and dry. It was misholding the ball call. There's outrage from Channel 7, from footy fans online. My my thought here is this is the same crowd of people like your Brian Taylor, you know, who'll be the first person to say, oh, let's put the whistle away and let them play umpire. You know, let the players decide things in the final five minutes. Don't get involved. Put the whistle away. Well, they did put the whistle away uh, and then everyone was up in arms about it. What were your thoughts guys on the outrage about this call and, and the whole thing in general well first off it definitely was holding the ball but sometimes umpires just don't see it the way we see it the way the commentators see it they've got the cameras we've got the best view 90 percent of the time on an angle that's up high that's can see nearly everything with the umpires on the ground level, there could be players in the way and they might miss a small part of the tackle or small, but they might have not seen, you might have thought he saw a hand go to the ball to handball it out. But yeah, it's, it is a tough one. And at the time I was happy. I was, I thought, yep, it's good. We won. I can understand the outrage by the Lions fans, but as you said, Commentators always the first go, oh, I'll let them play in when it's final time and put away the whistle. And then when it's during the season, uh, it's a different story. So it's, it is frustrating when there is those different views on different games. But well, sometimes umpires make mistakes and that's, that's all it is, a, a mistake. And unfortunately, it costs a team a, um, a game. And it's going to happen again this season, I believe. And it's going to happen every single year. There's going to be one moment in every well, every year where we're 
it's going to be, it was the wrong call. Why didn't they make a call there? It's not going to go out of the game. So just live with it. We can't make this game perfect. It's, it, I believe it's extremely difficult to officiate as it is already. So just let the umpires see what they call, call what they see. And if they make a mistake, they can own up to it after the game and say, yeah, we stuffed up there and let's move on. Yeah, I think I think there's a there's a lot of things to unpack in terms of um, both the rules and that specific m- moment. And um, I think by the letter of the law, yes, it was holding the ball. But I didn't really think that until the bloody sixty fps slow mo replay. Even you know, even from the good camera angle, at normal speed, I didn't necessarily think it was anything. Do you know what I mean? Like you just saw a player kind of spin around and his arms went like that and the ball went out. Like I can totally see how, you know, it's, it's easy as we as well as anyone know how easy it is to be armchair experts. Um, but, you know, would I be as, as dispassionate and analytical if it was the cats that are, you know, if it was the reverse, probably not, but at the same time, probably because I think it, in general, we do try and look at it that way. I think there is a tendency to let things play on a little bit in the goal squares when it's in close. And this is something we've talked about before as far as consistency from umpiring. I think there is this feeling of trying to get the game, build the game's excitement. So there's things that are called in the middle of the ground that they would never call in the goal square, right? Because it's it's trying to, it seems to be trying to, and vice versa, I think there's things the other way that they definitely will call in the goals where they won't call in the middle. Um, so it can just it can create that confusion um, in general. And I guess it's a, it's a larger discussion about the game. But also, there's no camera angle from where the umpire was, and it was in a pack. I have to, I can only assume the umpire was back that way out of the goal square, and there was half a dozen bodies between him and that tackle. Um, because even though from my angle in the in while watching the game it didn't look like holding the ball, I feel like if he had a clear sight at it, he probably would have seen that it was holding the ball. Um, but I think the, the AFL to to sort of sum up, I think the AFL in their statement probably hit the nail on the head where they said it was a bad call, but an AFL match isn't made up of one moment; it's made up of thousands of moments. Um, it's obviously a shame that this particular moment happened that late in the game when it was that close of a game. But if that call had been at three three quarter time in the center circle, mm. we wouldn't we wouldn't have heard about it that night, let alone the day after, mm. let alone now. <laughs> um, I think there is yeah, it's it's understandable that people focus focus on it, um, and it. It's, an, it's contentious enough that it did put a funny taste in my mouth about the victory, but you do you do have to look at it and go, well, there was so many more calls that could have gone either way because that's just the way this sport seems to be and the way this sport is officiated seems to be at the, at the end of the day, we've just got to, we've just got to trust in the umpires because <laughs> they're seeing something. They're seeing something there. Like, I don't know. There was a lot of calls 
you guys might be able to explain to me the Cam Guthrie one where he was pinged for being hot for taking the guy high when it was the guy that dove into his shins. Yeah, I don't. I I I genuinely didn't understand that one. Um, not that I want to bitch about the umpires, but it's just to to bring up the fact that you know that moment could have been at the at the final siren. Yeah, and it could have gone the other way. Brisbane could have used that moment to go and win it. So, um, yeah. Like if you put the if you put all the moments if you put all the moments thirty seconds segments of the AFL game into it into a clothes dryer and then took them out out of order that one would not stand out as any more egregious than any of the other ones. It's only because of our context of where it happened in the game. Well, well, and this is the thing. I just was having a look online at you know at the holding the ball rule because I think the holding the ball room is one of the most difficult to explain to people. Um, it's one of the most difficult to officiate. There's so much gray area. For, for instance, um, this is one of the little buy, buy things here. Um, how to interpret cases of dropping the ball. Unintentionally dropping the ball or having the ball dislodged is legal under the definition, definitions in law 18.6.3 and illegal otherwise. The rules which distinguish these cases are detailed and complicated. So for me, I, this is one of the things that I've always has forever mystified me. Where they sometimes you'll see a guy get tackled and the ball comes out. And they're like, "Yeah, oh, he's gone holding the ball." Other times, a guy gets tackled, the ball pops out, and they're like, "Oh no, that was dislodged in the tackle, dislodged in the tackle," and they play on. You know, so there's these cases in which a player can unintentionally drop the ball as part of mm. what happens when they're tackled and other times yeah. it's not allowed. So uh, to me, there is so much gray area. And as you said, Sam, if that happened elsewhere on the ground, there's no guarantee they would have paid it. You know what I mean? Like things happen quickly. He spins mm. around, the ball comes out like. Well, I think that's the one that? too, you know? that, that that moment makes it that apparently because he turned his back, turning your back on the, the tackling player counts as taking the player on. Yes. So that counts as prior prior opportunity. I don't know. Is, is there any rule of like, you have to have both hands on your ball for it to count as prior opportunity? Mm. Because what, what was his prior opportunity if he only had the ball in one hand? He couldn't, like, was he going to rush it through? I that's, don't know. Like, that's where it also gets even more confusing because you see time, like, especially on the, boundary line where players get tackled and they're never going to get tackled and they'll stand there and get chucked over the line. Mm. Now, in my opinion, if you get tackled on a boundary line and you just stay there and do nothing and get thrown over the line, that should be holding the ball because you're not trying to get rid of the ball. You're just waiting yeah. to be tackled over the line. Well, that's it. You had prior then, opportunities before yeah. they tackled you over the line, yeah. And you just, yeah, that's it, that's it. It's, Nearly every single game with players, they get tackled and then they do nothing because they're close to the boundary line and it's a throw-in. I think that's that should be officiated holding the ball every day, mm. especially if they get spun around a couple of times. And then mm. other times you see a player pick up the balls and then they get instantly tackled. And for some reason that's holding the ball when they there's clearly no yeah. chance that he's going to get rid of the ball. And that's another thing. That's another thing that might have looked weird to the umpire in that moment when he did turn. It possibly almost looked like the turn was part of the tackle. He got tackled, like spun around, 
because it was pretty instantaneous. He caught the ball and turned, and the tackle like was hitting as he turned. Um, it could look weird, but I don't know because you can't know what players are thinking, and you can't know what an umpire is thinking. So. Yeah. And you're trying to officiate it all in real time, in real speed, without the benefit of a replay to help you make the decision. And and yeah. and yeah. You know what else? I'd, cameras. I'd point to is that you know the Cats scored from 57.4 percent of their entries inside 50. They had less inside 50s, I believe, than the Lions. And Brisbane scored from 47.1 percent. So. 10.3% less of their inside 50s turned into scores. They kicked 14 behinds in a one-point game. All you've got to do is nail one of those set shots that they gave yeah. um, big Eric Hipwood with some questionable free kicks and you win the game. Uh, so, yeah. You know, it, it you, yeah. can, you can argue it all sorts of ways and there were some... It, and I mean, there was, you know... Sorry, sorry. I feel no, like no, go, go. Um, there was the, just to talk about calls again, not the only shit on umpires um but the call with the the deliberate call for smith did oh, you see that one yes i'm, I'm yeah, sure it's yeah did you was, were you confused yes <laughs> players when he players kicked it clearly in the area under pressure picked it up and belted it out and it traveled like 60 70 meters and bounced over the line and he was called deliberate i don't and, and there was and there was players within that vicinity. Like it just went past them. I, yeah, I don't know. It's I guess all the time, and it's it is one of those really stupid rules that a player can just get it and boot it without thinking, without looking, and get pinged. And then when you see a player running towards the ball and they tap it out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oops. And that's not deliberate. <laughs> oops. Yeah. I fumbled yeah. the ball. It's like, well, come on. Yeah. If if you're going to call those ones, call those other ones or just bring in a rule, a rule where whoever touched it last, the other team gets the ball. We ask umpires to make a lot more difficult judgment calls on players doing things than, it, yeah. th- than asking them to differentiate. Is that guy making a genuine attempt to keep the ball in bounds or did he accidentally fumble it out? Like, yeah. well, but, what do you reckon would happen with the was, AFL if, like, in, in footy, if we went to like they do in hurling and in soccer, where the last the the other team gets it if it goes out of bounds, oh, I wouldn't be against it. Maybe except for inside arm. the fifties, maybe not yeah. in there, but just around the ground. Um, go back on your point about um, officiating the uh, trying to decide if they were trying to get it out or just fumbled it. I was listening to again two guys one cup, and they was talking about the exact same thing. It's that they need someone in the arc. Who can, who is like someone who knows acting and they can look at it out of the bounds and to see if that player was acting to get the ball out or if he really was just fumbling it. Or they just need one of the, you know, 30,000 people in attendance who all know exactly what the guy was trying to do because <laughs> they've watched yeah. half a second of footy before. Um, but I tell you, if, if Smith meant to kick it that well, for it to travel that far and split the difference between that many players and go out. If he deliberately did that, then shit, he's an even better player than I thought he was. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a bloody beautiful goal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. In the, in the... 
Yeah. Well, yeah, true. If we analyze his goal versus that clearance, maybe it was deliberate. Thank you. He is capable of doing that. Yeah. So, <laughs> some uh, other little bits and pieces that I sort of thought I'd bring to the table was uh, no danger, no problem uh, in the midfield department. You had Cam Guthrie gather 28 disposals, Selwood 27, Zach Tui 27, Isaac Smith 26. And then you sort of wonder, you know, Dangerfield's a bit of a clearance machine. Well, Selwood had seven, Constable, Higgins and O'Connor all had five each. Um, so you got to feel like there's a hell of a lot of depth in this team, you know, to be missing Mitch Duncan, yeah. Sam Menegola and Patrick Dangerfield, three of the midfielders who started the grand final last year. And you've just got guys pop up. Oh, I'll just get half a dozen clearances for you. There's a lot of depth in this team, isn't there? Uh, mm. Just, it was amazing. Just fantastic to see Selwood play the way he did that night. If he had gone back to his 2007, 8, 9 seasons. It was mm. just fantastic to see. He was a beast that night. And anywhere in the, on the ground, he was there and he was always first. And whenever he went for the ball, he just got it. And it was just and winding think, back the clock. Do you think, Johnny, the, the winding back of the clock there, do you think that's evidence of Salwood being a leader first and a player second and that he's not necessarily not at that level all the time because he can't be but he's not at that level all the time because he but because his responsibilities have changed he knows where he fits into the team and when he's needed you know to do those things and and then on the weekend you know with those players missing he had to step up and he just kind of proved he could at any moment i don't know what do you reckon (laughs) yeah definitely i think it's that's just that's yeah you hit it on the head there but perfectly that as here's the captain and he definitely knows when he needs to stand up and so many times when the cats have needed someone to step up, it's been Selwood and mm-hmm. we needed him Friday to step up and he stood up and for the whole game and he for the whole game. The whole game yeah. And I think he played just out of his skin again. And, you know, it wasn't too bad for a player in his, what, he's 31. Yeah. Um, and played like he was much younger than that. And, Dominated. Yeah, geez, boys, 30, 31. Eh? <laughs> yeah, I know. You just, just skewed <laughs> John. Um, yeah. Uh, with, I'm 30 now, and it's it's one of those things with AFL. It's such a strange thing to say that it's so old playing a game at 31. It's mm. depressing, like, is what it is. It is. <laughs> it, just, it just shows how bloody tough the AFL game is when. You're 31, and people are saying you're going to retire soon. So, yeah. Here's a here's a quiz question for you. Um, who do you think had the most score involvements for the Cats on Saturday night or Friday night, whenever this was? Score involvement. Mm. How far back is this track? Like, is this the kick before the goal? Like, kick to the goal kicker, or does it count? A couple back or tackles. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know. It's... What about Shepherd's Day? Shepherding away from the player. <laughs> <to kick skills? laughs> it's definitely getting too deep into it. It's definitely se- separate <laughs> to goal assists. Goal assists um, is kept separately. Right. So this is just any score uh, behind goal. Who got involved in the I would, most? I wouldn't be surprised I would... if it was Tui. Okay. I'm gonna 
just back to our our captain, our captain, um, Selwood. I reckon it was Selwood. All right, here's your answer. Big Tommy Hawkins kicked three goals on the night, but more than that, he gathered a game-high 12 scoring involvements. Three of those were goal assists to other players. So he was involved in generating over half of Geelong's 21 scores on the night. And you know who was second? I was going to say Hawkins. You know who was second? I doubted doubted myself. I wasn't. (laughs) Second was... Um, Do you want to know or do you want to guess again? No, obviously I'm shit at it. Yeah, just tell us. <laughs> all right, all right. Big, big Reese Stanley had 10 scoring goals. Oh. So the tall timber for the Cats really contributing. Um, do you reckon this is a massively underrated part of Hawkins' games? Like, a lot of people give him shit about his goal kicking at times and that sort of thing. Um, but as far as using the ball out of the ruck in the Ford 50, like that play to Isaac Smith for the winning goal, Seemed like a bit of a set play, like where you just his big he out bodies, grabs it, rips it out. Do you think we don't maybe appreciate Tommy Hawkins for how much he actually does to get others involved? I, I obviously don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think I, I don't know for a big guy, maybe he's, he must be a fucking ninja because I just don't. I don't know. I never really noticed him doing that stuff. It must be real. Um, yeah, he must be real. Uh, quick and stealthy with it and just, you know, efficient. I definitely noticed it last year um, a lot more than I had normally had. And I did notice a lot this on Friday night, but that one to Isaac Smith was just, mm. it had to be some form of set play. I know Hawkins is always going to outbody 90% of the other Ruckman because he's such a big guy. And it's just like, well, if he gets it, who's going to be directly in front of him at that moment, whoever it is, he's just going to pass it, be ready for it. And you've been for a pretty good chance to get a goal. So it has to be a set play. I don't think it'll be set play for any certain player. I think it'll just be for whoever's there. But yeah, that's, that's some good stuff again by Hawkins. And if you played anything like you did last year, we're in, we're in, we're in a good spot because he was, Bloody beautiful last year. Any thoughts on Francis Evans coming in as a debutant? He was great. He um yeah. he started started strong, started about as, as good as good as you could. Um yeah, I think he probably he probably uh disappeared a little bit as the game wore on. Um probably experienced possibly, you know. Um, even though I'm sure I'm sure he's an incredibly fit bloke, I think the fitness of playing the AFLM could be, you know, the intensity of that, and not to, not to mention the adrenaline that he would have come out with. Mm. Um, I imagine he started real strong, and being such such a, such a greenhorn, I think as you come out like as that dissipates, maybe in in the <laughs> the quarter time break or the half time break, and suddenly you don't have that energy just pumping through your vein. Um, yeah, it could, it could be really hard to know how to, how to manage that machine throughout the game, you know, keeping your levels up and down as you go. Um, but he was, he was really good. He was, um, it was great. He, uh, he got a, he showed Dangerfield how you're meant to bump. Oh, um, <laughs> that hit on little that, four boy. Yeah. That was a, that was a, that was a, that was a good bump. Um, 
yeah, I had strong feelings about Dangerfield's bump, but that one was um, <laughs> was almost almost top to bottom the opposite of 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 the Dangerfield bump, and you know, perfectly illustrated why I didn't like uh, Paddy's bump. I I actually yeah. thought you just said sorry when you said he you know the adrenaline pumping through his veins, I heard crumping the adrenaline crumping through his veins. <laughs> so I'm trying. I to... may have misspoken. I don't know why I would say that. I That's... hope it was. Possible. It's crumping much more descriptive. Crumping. Yeah, it's, it's yes. Adrenaline. Yeah, it's, it's specific. It's more. It's more. It's more. It's even more rhythmic than. than it's very aggressive. I like it. Rhythmic, very aggressive. aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have any yeah, thoughts on the game before we move on to votes or anything like that? Uh, well, let's talk Rowan. I'd like All to. Right. I'd like to talk. Uh, yeah. 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 So just I to think... set the table for the people at home, obviously there was an incident with Gary Rowan striking Lockie Neal. He's been offered two weeks suspension by the match review people, the tribunal. He's accepted the two week suspension. I'm not going to comment on this because I didn't see it live. So lads, have at it. Well, it's it's one of those things that. Yes, it was the wrong thing Rowan did, but it wasn't, in my opinion, it wasn't high. He got him around a chest and then Neil fell into it. And I believe in my, in my opinion, Neil did play on that quite a lot. The way he went down and laid on the ground for as long as he did is just, when you watch a replay, it hit him in the chest and then he fell over into his arms and carried on like he'd been sucker punched right in the face. And Friday, Friday footage, if he got full on flushed in the face by that punch, he probably would have had a broken jaw. Mm. So it was a hard hit. Um, and yeah, there's not much else you can say. It was the wrong, absolutely the wrong thing to do. It was a stupid. Yeah, it was. It was a. It was a hard hit, but it's not a hit I don't see a hundred times. No, across like because it wasn't. It wasn't a punch with a like. It wasn't the knuckles or the hand. It was the the forearm that made the contact. It's that yeah. real kind of like tap with and like that's how you do it if you don't want to hurt someone. You hit them with the forearm because it's softer. There's no knuckles. There's no bones. There's a bit of meat there. Um, you see it all the time. Sometimes with more like the outside, which it was as well. It kind of came mm-hmm. around the side and hit with his with his the top of his hand was what was facing towards towards uh, Neil. Um, and it sort of initial contact was upper lower shoulder and then wrapped around the chest. And it was as Neil fell to the side that his arm raised up and it went up and made contact with the neck i i don't know i i really think it would be nice if you could take the whole incident into context know what was being said to rowan because i i'm a big rowan fan so i'm certainly biased in this scenario um but i don't i don't i would never have called him a a dirty player no like it's so rare so something something was said yeah he didn't throw the first hit he was punished first and it was in retaliation and i think the fact that it came late you could tell he was possibly trying to fight it back to not do it um and then it came a little bit later um i 
I don't think it's an excuse, I guess, at the end of the day. I, I have a lot of problems with the, with the whole way that went down and the somewhat limited view that a lot of presenters seem to have on it of just looking at that punch and just looking at the fact that Neil went down and was holding his jaw. Hmm. Like that was it rather than analysing hmm. where it hit and how it happened. And, and then the fact that yep. Neil played out the rest of the game like nothing happened. There was no physical bruising. There was, there was nothing on his face that suggested that he had been hit. He'd hit, no. And, and the other thing is, if you are a big, tough AFL play, AFLM player and someone taps you on the shoulder, you don't, your first instinct wouldn't be to go down and hit the ground. Like, yeah. you would surely turn around to see what, what's going on. And that's, I think, to me, a weird little bit of damning evidence of he knew it was coming and he was almost dropping before the, before the contact was made. <laughs> um, yeah, I just don't, I don't think it was a genuine reaction of shock um, yeah. because I don't think that's how you react that's how you react if someone's absolutely concussed you with a, with a punch to the neck or head which is essentially what everyone's just accept, genuine, generally accepted it was obviously not everyone but a lot of people seem to have just generally accepted it was a punch to the neck it clearly, clearly wasn't but it's not an excuse it was a stupid thing to do um, you should never put yourself in a position to be dictated by someone doing that. So I think Neil fully dictated the outcome of that scenario with his response, with his instigation of the scenario and his response to it. But it's all taken away if Rowan just didn't punch him. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, there's been some wankers online that I've seen going on about, oh, mate, he's done a Barry Hall and just bloody decked the guy. I'm like, for, for starters, Gary Rowan was standing behind Lockie Neal. Lockie Neal mm. turned back and punches Gary Rowan in the chest. And then Rowan sort mm. of round arms around the sort of upper shoulder area, mm. down across his chest kind of thing. And and Neil drops like a sack as of it, Barry Hall turned around what, yeah. and that, yeah, that caught hit someone. You see a thousand times. Yeah. yeah. I tell you what, if um, if it was a Barry Hall hit, Lockie Neal would be concussed on the ground, knocked out. Like Brent Staker was. Nearly broken jaw, like Ben Staker was. Like, mm. You can't compare those. That's just ridiculous. Like, And plus, Barry Hall probably has a whole lot of weight and muscle more than what Gary Rollins got. So, yeah. yeah, and and I mean at the at the end of the day, yeah, I I think I hundred percent agree with that that it wasn't. But he he under, he got played like a fiddle. He got sucked yeah. in, and if he just hadn't, we 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 wouldn't be talking about it. Um, yeah. but it's a it's a real bugger, and I think I think it's more of an issue than losing danger. Personally, I think Rowan started to build his place in that team. Um. And yeah, it's funny for a, for a punt, you would think a punch would be worse than a bump, but again, comparing it to the danger bump, I think it's, it's so vastly different a scenario. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think it was a little harsh the two weeks, but again, if you just didn't get, if you didn't even let them have the opportunity to talk about it, to talk about whether he should be suspended, but I would love to know, what what little Lockie Neal said. Well, I, absolutely. 
There's That's what that. I. Yeah. I love that about Chris Scott firing up and mm. defending his players and and getting the grill of other players and and now it's coming out in a lot of the AFL media saying that Chris Scott's crossed the line. He should have done that. It's like, hang on, well, he's a coach of a team. You're meant to stand up for your players if you believe they haven't done anything wrong. And that's all he was doing. Sure, he may have gone maybe a bit, bit over the top, but you know what? I enjoyed it. I really liked it about that. It's part of his personality to yeah. tell people when he believes they're wrong and I have no yeah. issue with it. It was, as much as we talk about, you know, getting more clarity in rules and protecting the head and this and that, it, it does have the result of a, AFL um, becoming such a sanitised sport. So to see something like this that was a little out of the ordinary and uh, and there was so much passion in it and wasn't taken from a, a rule book, um, it was, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, it, it, and just thinking about you know um different suspensions and that sort of thing it's amazing what players will get away with i was just thinking about barry hall and it wasn't the brent staker thing but it was in the preliminary final in 2005 and hall uh was reported for striking st kilda's matt mcguire um and his legal team successfully argued um through a loophole that oh he was in it was a part of the play because he was trying to free himself from Maguire's guard, even though they were 30 meters down the field and he <laughs> escaped suspension and was allowed to play the grand final, you know, different times, obviously 16 years on, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys. I think that um, the context of it was important. I think uh, there was an element of staging to that. I noticed Lockie Neal got away scot-free Um despite all the, oh, my jaw, rubbing in the jaw, um, palaver. So, you know, anyway. And then the three, the three, the three fingers yeah. to telling was going to get three weeks. Yeah. I think even that should, like, that's almost like a challenge to the tribunal. Like, mm. I don't think the players should be able to do that if we're having this whole discourse about staging mm. and all that kind of stuff for him to have done that is essentially him having trying to have a say in their decision because once you've done that and they don't do that, you've, they, they, they don't respond, they don't give the same uh, or a, you know, similar punishment, there's this weird um, friction. There's, a, there's, a, there's air between what the player felt and what the punishment was that was handed down and that provides room for... Uh, con- controversy and um yeah it's yeah it was a very messy incident the cell the cellwood one i think was a little bit more um i that seemed to be more in in the in the spirit of of the game itself um did cellwood cop anything a fine or anything not that I don't I, think so. I, I haven't heard any news about Selwood. Um, one good thing we can take is the fact that Mark O'Connor, the Irishman, kept Lockie Neal to just 16 disposals, four clearances, one mark and two tackles um, with a 150. Well, he had to, he had to do something on the game. So he, he thought he'd get one of our guys suspended. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So Mark O'Connor played really well and, and, to go with five clearances himself. So he was tagging Lockie Neal and had more clearances than Lockie Neal. And 
Neil has been the engine, <laughs> the engine room of that midfield. So let's get on to the votes, gents. And maybe I'll, do it. I'll lead off hit because I've got mine in and I'll keep it brief. I'm going to give one to Zach Tui, two goals, a bunch of disposals and some clearances um, on his return. I thought he, he also, I believe, had the most meters gained um, by a Cats player or most or second most. So instrumental, I thought, in setting up the Cats. Um, so one vote for Tui. I'm going to give two votes to Mark O'Connor, the Irishman, for locking Lockie Neal out of the contest, um, Neil was a player that you and I had highlighted, Johnny, to watch out for. And Mark O'Connor took him right out of the contest. So massive yeah. for the Irish. Fantastic. Um, so two votes to Mark O'Connor. And I'm going to give three votes to Joel Selwood. Outstanding elite champion, Hall of Fame level play um, from the skipper when the uh, midfield was undermanned. So I'm giving three votes to Selwood. Um and on to whoever wants to take their votes next. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to go my one vote to Tom Hawkins. I felt like he played a really good game, instrumental in winning us that game. It, it, it was a tough, tough pick to pick the top three, or except for one, but the other two were very tough. And I just thought Tom Hawkins played a great game, basically. Nearly won a set game, basically won a set game, along with Zach, oh, Zach Smith. Two votes goes to Mark O'Connor as well. The way he locked down Neil was just sensational. And my three votes, which was straight away I knew, was Joel Selwood. Just, he was just brilliant. Just, as I said, round the clock back to his first and first year when he came to the team and just, just was superb. Absolutely superb. Well, I'll lead straight off with my one vote going to Selwood. So he, he's done well, nice. well as well. Um, nice. For, for all those reasons that have been stated previously. Uh, my two votes go to Isaac Smith, um, who is just uh, a bit of a, a bit of a superstar. I think he's really, he's, he's one of those players that can do the basic stuff so well. Um, he is always in it, but he's also a bit of a bit of a danger maker and able to just come out of nowhere with some of those game-changing moments. Um, and my three votes go to O'Connor. So oh, <laughs> he, nice. Uh, he did, did well for himself as well. But um, yeah, it's obviously a bit of a thankless task to be the to be tagging that star player in that way. You can be a little bit invisible uh, on the stat sheet. You have to look at the other player. But the fact that he actually still had played a good game and made some real impact on the stat board as well is just, yeah, it's incredible. So, um, yeah, I was very impressed. Yeah, absolutely. Nice, nice, nice. He's, um, he's played well there, Mark O'Connor, and he's risen quickly at Geelong. He's part of the leadership group, I believe, now as well, Mark O'Connor. Um, so yeah, he got that um, after his first year. After two weeks through the men's we have a tie atop the, the the standings we've got joel selwood and mark o'connor both on seven votes mm. uh, then we've got isaac smith with six brandon parfit with five cam guthrie two and then singles to tom atkins zach tui and tom hawkins so this should Man, be it's it's criminal that um neither parfit or guthrie got votes uh. 
this week. And that just shows you how much of a team effort it was. So many mm. people. So well. But I, it's it's classic to me that we, you know, we all had Salwood and O'Connor in there. Mm. Yes. And like I think O'Connor, like that was a massive job that he did and went uh, like a huge way towards the Cats being able to dominate the clearances, I think. So awesome. Well, that brings us to <laughs> halftime. Halftime. The, the, um, the, next the, week's the preview. The, we haven't well, done a preview yet. No, I know, but I've got we've got a little bit of middle middle of the show stuff to do. Uh... <laughs> it's a big show. <laughs> Lollies are a spray from the coach. Lollies, absolutely. You get your cordial. Lollies are a spray from the coach. Lollies, absolutely. That's what half time's yeah. about. So yeah, it is kind of half time, but we're probably... <laughs> <laughs> it might be more like three quarter time. Who knows? Yeah, it's 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 a it's a brief break in proceedings to do a little bit of business. And that is, uh, we'll start off with the AFLW team of the week for week nine, the final week for any Geelong player to be considered. Um, is it still bullshit? <laughs> you mean, is it back to being bullshit? I think yeah, that's true. It. Is it back to being bullshit? It's not bullshit. <laughs> Amy McDonald is named to the interchange of the AFLW week. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll I, take it. Wasn't she interchanged already? <laughs> She's been in twice and both on the interchange bench. So um, from my count... I call it half bullshit. <laughs> we've, it's half bullshit. We need a sound drop. Half bullshit. So we've had... Well, if she's been on the, in the interchange one, twice, that counts as one sort of thing. <laughs> sure. true. <laughs> <laughs> so well, maybe it's more than that. Maybe you've got to get... It's like chess. Got to get all the way to the end and then <laughs> turn into a full player. And she's won a more important honour than this anyway. And that is the Chaps Chat Cats AFLW MVP vote. So... Um, Amy, well done, Amy, Amy McDonald uh, makes the AFLW Team of the Week uh, for the second time this season. The other ones this year, I believe, were Phoebe McWilliams and Meg McDonald, um, who made the team. All right, we'll spin over to the VFLW, gents. The uh, the Cats took on the Bulldogs and uh, sewed up a victory to the tune of 40-6. to six. They actually held the Bulldogs to just two scoring shots after quarter time, didn't let the Dogs kick a major all day and ran away with the win. Now, Johnny and I had the privilege of sitting down last night with VFLW uh, dominator, um, Tamara Smith, who put together 17 tackles earlier this season. Um 17. 17. 17. <laughs> 17. Well, you must mean 16. Well, well, that was this week. She put together 16 oh, tackles. Uh, 16. Um, 16 tackles. Yeah. Surely against 16 tackles. So every time. So she had 15 disposals and 16 tackles this weekend against the dogs. Um, now we've got that full interview. We, we intended to do about 20 minutes um, interview with Tamara. And in the end, uh, we had so much fun and just talking footy with her and about her journey. And it ended up being 
basically an episode in and of itself. It was it's about fifty minutes long. The the chat. So we're gonna play. Thank God I wasn't there. I feel like I've <laughs> my presence has bloated this episode out. Yeah. Well, Justice League four hour epic. <laughs> that's right. The Snyder cut. I don't think she would have mind minded one nah. bit because she nah. just wanted to talk fully yeah all night. It was awesome. Like it was a great chat. That's we've got so we've got a clip here for you, which I'll play for you now. Uh, it's just a little three minutes of the interview, and we'll put the full episode up for the uh, Chat Chat Cats audience uh, on Thursday night uh, to get you into your long weekend. So here's the clip of Tamara Smith and talking about her journey into the VFLW and to the Mighty Cats. I played at Richmond in 2018. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, just at the back end of that. Um, so I played nationals and then played VFL with Richmond. Um, and then, yeah, so come 2019 was pretty tough because I was still living at home um, in regional VIP. So I was catching the train two and a half hours to training, two and a half hours back. Jesus. Um, so three nights a week. Um, I was also working full time. Wow. Um, so I took a gap year try to save up for uni um I was trying to play obviously I wasn't playing my best footy because I was getting home at 1am and getting up at five to go to work um so and a lot of the girls will have similar stories so you know it's tough but you just do it because you love it um but you know in 2018 when I was deciding you know what do I want to do for uni um you know kind of what's the next chapter going to be um, in the course I'm in now, I'm studying exercise and sports science because I just knew I wanted to be in Geelong. And I thought, yeah. um, you know, I'm pretty good at sport. I love it. I'll do this course and it'll get me to Geelong. And when I'm there, I'll figure out what I'll do next. So, nice. Uh, from the end of 2019, I was like, all right, I'm heading to Geelong. Don't really want to be driving into Melbourne. Um and then my coach at Richmond kind of said, all right, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to stay with us? And I said, look, I'd honestly rather go to Geelong. Um, and he was um, Tommy Hunter at Richmond, who was awesome. And Kate Sheehan there just said, yeah, we'll pass a message on to Geelong. Um, let them know that we've got a girl heading down that way that they might be interested in. Um, and then Geelong gave me the call and that was kind of, yeah, the rest was history. I mean, now I have to ask, sorry, there's a separate question, but I have to ask, as a lifelong Cats fan, what is it like going into, you know, under the umbrella of the Cats? What's the culture like down there? It's incredible, honestly. Like Excellent. Um, <laughs> Excellent. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> um, like you say, the hoops, and there's this big thing, you know, wearing the hoops and, you know, you're representing the hoops, but... To be a part of that and to to actually understand and to feel what wearing the hoops means and you know what it means to all the players all the staff all the you know everyone involved is a huge thing and um i think everyone from you know the best of the best men to to you know us vfl girls everybody understands and everybody respects that um and everybody wants to do their best to to represent that so it's amazing so yeah, that's, that's part of our interview with Tamara Smith, um, the tackle machine. Fantastic! Oh, got me going. Like I was so excited to talk footy, like and Geelong oh, and the Cats, and to, 
to talk to someone who's been on that turf and and played in that that jersey i was i, I was i was pumped <laughs> i was it was just so exciting and so good and just to hear the what she did to get where she is now mm. is just perfectly highlights incredible. those points we were making earlier about about what the what some of them have to go through to yeah. to you know purely for the love of the game and the drive to play it is uh yeah it's it's inspiring oh absolutely and inspiring to so many other girls out there who who are thinking of getting the ball and playing the game and hopefully if they listen to this podcast go well i can do that well if she can mm. do it i can do it so good on tomorrow and go girl you can uh, get to the AF, um, aflw and represent the hoops on the elite level as well yeah i, I think yeah well she's 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 representing herself herself very well on the field and sounds like she represented herself very well doing the, the media duties with you lads so uh she's well on her way <laughs> yeah oh just uh, just so many perspectives and, and with what she as she gets into the in the interview what she's studying at uni with you know um you know, which is in the field of sports and exercise and that sort of thing. There's so many angles she brings to the conversation about footy. So it's it's a great one. And you'll be able to hear it in full when we release that episode this Thursday night. So that's a good way to start your uh, long weekend on the drive home from work. Um, have a listen to Tamara Smith, who's just a bloody dead set champion. Um, all right, lads, let's power forward in this uh in this little break bit here uh have we got some wanker of the week action on your end will i play the sound drop shall i play the jingle play the jingle the cane horns the cane horns the wanker the wanker the cane horns the wanker it's that's right ladies and gentlemen uh it is time for the wanker of the week and um <laughs> all i'll say is that that title was solidified this week while i was doing a little bit of reading online um with some perspectives held um by the uh i was gonna ask you about that but it sounds like i don't need to uh, yeah 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 um so it's <laughs> it is the wanker of the week um Johnny, lead off for us here. Who have you got nominated um, for the Wanker of the Week? My Wanker of the Week, we've already talked about it pretty much in full detail, but I'm going to give it to Lockie Neal. Oh! He acted on the field at halftime. You're an elite player. If you're going to act like that, you deserve to be called a wanker because that was <laughs> a wanker move. <laughs> nice. Love it. Yeah, yeah, no, no arguments here. No protests. No, not at all. What about you, Sambo? Uh, no, you shoot first. You shoot first. I'm still trying to decide mine, so you better shoot first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to see if you get... I Locking the was one of mine as well, so I wanted to see if you were going to vote him. I was then also going to go to make sure it was he got the hat trick. Um, but if you haven't decided yet, um, I'll take it away from football, and it's going to be... I'll keep it a short rant. I'll take it just to anybody going... We mentioned the, the Snyder Cut earlier. Um, the Zack Snyder Cup of Justice League. I'm going to give the Wanker of the Week award to anybody who is review bombing Godzilla versus Kong <laughs> before it's come out 
because you feel like it's somehow going to make Warner Brothers make the sequel to, to Justice League. Do whatever you want online, sign petitions, watch Justice League on a loop to up the HBO Max numbers. Don't go and see Godzilla vs. Kong. That stuff's all fine. But to try and give it zero star reviews and bomb it to make people not watch it to try and undercut Warner Brothers' income. I don't get how you possibly think making Warner Brothers lose money will make them fund more movies for you. <laughs> <laughs> By trying to undercut the income of Godzilla versus Kong, which incidentally I have no interest in. So it's not like I love them defending the movie, but undercutting the income of that movie is literally working against the company that you want to fund exorbitant priced superhero movies. So you're all fucking wankers. Nice. I fully agree with that. Um, I can get behind that one. I, I'm going to say, boy, oh boy, wowee, Brian Taylor is my wanker of the week. And um, this has been something that's building for a long time. I've got a love-hate relationship with BT. Um, don't mind his calling on Triple M at times. I've enjoyed him and James Brayshaw at times on Triple M. But something that has... I do enjoy his uh, Romy Brian. I think he does the... That's always entertaining. Well, I think his uh, right his commentary sometimes roams too far into anti-Geelong sentiment for mine. Now, I've heard him go he's had a dig at Geelong's home crowd for being too polite for not being loud enough to being a bunch of you know country bumpkins who are too quiet to give a shit and all this sort of stuff and I thought his commentary on the weekend of the uh, Mark Blixard stuff was about as one-sided as you'll get um from and even the excitement level of that whole commentary team if you go back and listen to the call of the Isaac Smith goal to win it um Mm-hmm. Not the sort of gusto that you might expect from a last gasp winner um, after a team's fallen behind. So I'm giving it to Brian Taylor and perhaps even the whole Channel 7 commentary team um, as a whole. But yeah, there's a bit of anti-Geelong sentiment there. And that's why Brian Taylor's my wanker of the week. But uh, Yeah, cer- certainly could be the whole team. But as the, uh, the flag flying wanker of, of representative of their commentary team, Brian is the man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Nice. Um, and we've just got one quick update on another important part of our show. AFL Insider, Agent O. He's always somewhere with his finger on the pulse. Agent O. AFL Insider, Agent O. He's always somewhere with his finger on the pulse. Agent O. That's right. Agent O. Now, uh, we, we made a call. I sort of wanted to bring you in the loop, Sam, because I'm not sure if you have listened to the previous episode or not, but we made a call um, to Agent O again, having built him that beautiful sound drop to try and entice him to come on the show. And at the end of the call, once it rung out, we got the, uh, you know, this number is not connected. Um, you know, please make sure you... Hmm you know, you're contacting the right thing. And it led us to posit the theory that in the cutthroat um, espionage world of AFL insiders, that perhaps Agent O has been um, taken hostage. Killed? Uh, yeah, oh exactly. Well, <laughs> all, all cards oh, well, on okay. the table. Like, we, we don't, he's definitely, we believe, been taken 
somewhere, whether that's out of existence or just to some remote location remains to be seen. Johnny posited the theory that maybe uh, Damien Barrett from AFL 360, uh, the bespectacled demon, might have done away with our good friend, Agent hey, O. But... He's not from 360. He's... Oh, isn't he? Sorry. My... <laughs> well, no. maybe. What's well? Where is um, from? You know, where is from? Just an AFL. He's just an that AFL was journalist, so maybe he's one theory. But we just want to see what you think about this. We're we're thinking about perhaps engaging the services of a private eye to do some legwork on this case and 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 track our friend down. Uh, yeah, I th- look. I think given the circumstance. Uh, it's the only logical response <laughs> I really... <laughs> to go from he's not answering your calls to, um, yeah, it's highly, 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 highly unlikely that he's just given us a wrong number. I think it's, it's certainly something more nefarious. Um, and, you know, I did get a, a, a post-it note um, in, in, in my letterbox the other day um, saying... We have what's most precious to you. Um, you know, w- uh, wait for further instructions. And it could only be Agent O, because as we all know, he is what is most precious to all three of us in this yes, world. Absolutely. That's true. Um, well, that's so a shocking development. I, I thought, that at is. the time, I thought merely a prank. But now I'm thinking uh, that this could be our, our bespectacled assailant contacting me to, uh, to inform me of, of, of Agent O's situation. Well, I mean, this is this is this is our work during the week is to find the appropriate agent um, agency to uh, to to locate. Um, we've got to look for someone with a bit of street smarts, I think, someone who's been around the block a bit um, and can deal mm-hmm. with the, the violent underbelly of the AFL insider game. So, um, good. I, well, I'm, well, I mean, the 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 note, the the post-it note that you received, really really brings uh, credence to our case and um, it sounds like a, an opportune time to to engage the services of, of a private eye which we might do on Absolutely. next week's episode Absolutely. I mean as pressing as it is we'd hate to do it not in an episode and get the obvious spike in views that such juicy uh, story uh, such a juicy story would bring I mean yes, as important media, as agent <laughs> I think he'll understand that we've left him in the clutches of his of his kidnappers for a further week. <laughs> the sake of being it on him. We know it's you, David Barrett. Just bring him back home to us. That's right. That's right. We look, we know we know he's not gonna do anything too bad. And uh, and Agent O is pretty tough. He can take it. He can take it, you know, some uh, some mild torturing, I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, lads. Well, that's that's good. That's probably a good time to move on then uh, to, to to quickly whip through. I mean, I mean, the podcast itself at this point is running upwards of two hours at this point in time. I believe um, we've got just one game left to just give some thoughts on, and we'll whip through the AFL M preview for the Cats v the Hawks this Easter Monday oh. at three twenty p.m. Geelong goes into this grudge match with the Hawks with both teams at one and one through two weeks. The Hawks beat the Bombers in a thriller in week one and were there comfortably handled by the Tigers in week two. Last times they met, the Cats won 108 to 47 last season. 
It's one of the more lopsided victories in the recent history of the rivalry. And they split the contest, one win apiece in 2019. <sighs> Look, a few players to watch. Tyler Brockman for the Hawks has four goals through two weeks. Tim O'Brien, Luke Bruce, Dylan Moore, and Harry Morrison all have three. Tom Mitchell has racked up an absolute boatload of touches, but I'd say the real danger from their higher disposal getters might be from a guy like Blake Hardwick, who has 52 touches across two weeks to go with a team high, 925 metres gained. Also watch out for Jager O'Meara, who is the clearance king for the Hawks with 13 through two games. Maybe expect Mark O'Connor to go and tag Jager O'Meara out of the game. Boys, any thoughts leading into this game? Uh, and I'll get your scores and sort of predictions about how things might shake out. Um, oh, I'm expecting another tough game against the Hawks. They always are. It's going to be an interesting game for Isaac Smith coming up against the Hawks mm. since he left them. And I think the Hawks are not going to be that friendly to him. I think what they've come out, or Luke Bruce has come out and said they're not going to be friendly. So hopefully the Cats will get behind as Isaac Smith and give back as hard as the Hawks give because he's a hoops player now and we've got to look out for our own. Um, I am expecting the Cats to win fairly, hopefully fairly easy. I think it'll be about, I reckon, a 90 to 60 point um, game to Cats way. Hmm. Interesting. Nice. That, I mean, I'd take that. What about you, I Sambo? Take that as well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I Ever since that grand final mm. <laughs> against the old Hawks, the Hawks playing the Hawks will forever from, from now until eternity, from then, sorry, until eternity, whatever year that was. I'm, I'm blanking on it now. 2008. It doesn't matter. We don't need to remember. It's Eight. I was going to say yeah. seven. Um, uh, yeah. Since from then until eternity, it doesn't matter if the Hawks are the lowest, shittiest team and we are like on our 10 championship winning streak, going and playing them will give me chills. Down oh, it always does. <laughs> it's just. Yeah, it's one yeah. of those games that you mark on the calendar going, this is when we're going to play the Hawks. It's the one game that matters all year. We've got to beat them. Yeah, I, I, it'll be interesting. Um, it'll be interesting. It'll be physical, as, as Johnny previously mentioned. Um, I, I don't know. I think it'll be a bit closer. Uh, I'm, I'm going to put us a little lower um, at the... 87. I'm going to put Hawks at 76. I think it's going to be a, I think Ooh. it's going to, I think it's going to be, I think it could be tight. I don't know. It may even, I, I don't know why I feel like it could be more low scoring than that even. Um, but I kind of putting that aside, I hope for a buttload of goals. I hope it's a big scoring game and I hope it's exciting from start to finish. And I hope my heart can take it. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, uh, Johnny and I were pretty uh, well in lockstep last week. We had um, the Cats winning against Brisbane. I think I had 92 to 82 and John had 90 to 80 or something, but we've sprayed the board mm -hmm. here. Yeah. I've got the Cats in what, like you said, Sam and John, I think is going to be a really physical contest. They love to try and muscle us out, um, the Hawks, but I've noticed a little bit of a harder edge about this Cats team. 
this season, the the Francis Evans bump on um, Daniel Rich was was I think indicative of that. They're a little. Uh, I think that grand final loss last season for the Cats has given a harder edge to this twenty twenty one team. I think they're a little pissed off, and they're out to to maybe uh, take some scalps. Having said that, the Hawks always play up to us, and I think this is going to be one of the best. Easter Monday games that we've seen. I've got the Cats winning 15-10-100 to the Hawks 14-12-96. So a four-point win for the Cats in an Easter Monday thriller. And you know what? I've got Isaac Smith kicking the sealer for the uh, Cats against his old team. I think Isaac Smith would that just be poetic justice and i'm not talking that he's gonna I don't know what for <laughs> kick the final goal or anything but i i think he'll at some point kick a goal that that you think just puts a bit of a dagger in hawthorne's effort or uh, yeah i'm not exactly sure okay, no matter sure. no matter when he kicks a goal or if he kicks i reckon he will kick a couple of goals but i think that first goal he gets the cats fans are gonna go berserk he's gonna celebrate and all the cats players will get around him and just get right pumped up mm. for getting a goal against this old side, against the uh, hated Hawks. Yeah, the old enemy. Um, the any old further enemy. thoughts from you, gents, before we sign off for the evening? No. Just... Uh, no, just, just, a, just a, quick, a quick ramble. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> uh, on an already, already gargant to the podcast. And it's just on that note, just talking before, and it's probably something that we don't need to discuss during the podcast, so I've, I've tacked it right at the end so you can cut it out nicely if you want to. You're talking about the, the length of the podcast mm. um, and how long it is. How, how, how much are you guys affected by that? Like trying to keep it beyond the time it takes to record it. Mm. I hear a lot of people say you want to keep it under this, you want to keep it under that um, to engage your audiences. But I have, to, I have to say I don't really understand it because it really depends on the content. 10 boring minutes is a lot worse than four really good hours. Mm. And it's, it's not radio. Like, yeah, you can pause it. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry to tell everyone that I'm sorry. if <laughs> You really should have stopped an hour ago through listening to this. And now you've, you've missed the start of your daughter's graduation because you, you just had to finish the last hour. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but you could have fucking paused it an hour ago and come back. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, how do you guys feel about it? I just feel like when it's when it's cracking and it's fun for us, it's mm. probably probably gonna be fun for at least some other people. <laughs> as, as um we've said, it's we're doing this because we love this team. We love talking about the team and the footy. I think as long as we're enjoying it, let it roll on as long as we need it to. Because and I and I I do think that that the fact that you can pause it isn't like. I don't know, because I know there's a very strong notion out there about podcasts not being too long and trying to keep it snappy and keep audiences engaged in that. And I don't know that it's if from the people doing the podcasts or it's the audiences or whoever, or if, if, it's, if it's everybody, but the notion that it should be short to keep viewers engaged is it's so archaic in this format that we have. Well, where... sometimes when I've listened to podcasts, I kept going, oh, this is great, and then it comes to an end. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. it could have kept going. I was really interested in that topic or what they were talking about. And 
wouldn't mind if they went on for another hour or two or whatever. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I get frustrated if it's like 58 minutes or something and it's mm. usually an hour 10. I feel like I've been robbed that extra 12 minutes. Well, well I see <laughs> some podcasts that go for 15 minutes. Like, well, I don't want to listen to a 15 minute podcast. Yeah. And, and all the episodes of that length, well, I want to listen to ones with, while I do something and exactly. have it in the background and just, yeah. And with our level and our content and the way we're doing it and what we're talking about, if someone's losing interest at the 40 minute mark, I don't think we could have saved it by finishing three minutes. <laughs> I think, I think they're already gone. I don't think it's for yeah. them. I think they've packed their lunch and left. <laughs> I, I think it's a good point. And, and it's one of those things too, that like some of the best stuff I've enjoyed. And I, hopefully this is int- hopefully peeling back the, uh, the curtain for the listeners is, is a good thing. And I'd, I mean, I'm interested to hear what people listening think about it because I'm I'm in your camp, Sambo. Like, um, I guess other like my other podcast that I've done seems to get a better response in listenership when they're about that fifty minutes to an hour. However, I the podcasts I enjoy listening to, you know, are often three hours long. And I'll listen to them on multiple drives to work while I'm doing the dishes. And it really feels like sitting down with friends and, and mm. listening in on a great conversation. Like some of the best stuff I've enjoyed tonight is when we got into the weeds, like, and really discussed some stuff about the AFLW and our thoughts about that outside of just a game recap or a game preview. So I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely all up for doing that. And, um, you know, I think that was something even like last night when we chatted with Tamara Smith that you could really see the benefits of having a, a longer time frame to go, all right, sweet. We don't just have to do a 10-minute media engagement. We can get into mm. how did you go growing up playing footy. We can talk about your journey. We can talk about all that stuff. So, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fully with you. I think it'd be interesting to know i mean i think i think i do think adhering to those old school notions of going we're gonna keep it this short and we're gonna put this thing and this thing in an intro or whatever not specifically things Mm -hmm. but like adhering to the rules of tv radio um all those sorts of things con media content of yesterday I think it will give you a short-term yield in viewership. Um, I think it will spike it, but it's in the broader context. I don't think it's helping to explore the possibilities of the, the form. Mm. Um, the fact that we don't, yeah, you don't have to. Like, if we had wanted to stick the Tamara interview in the middle of this and go, this is a three-hour podcast, but here are the timestamps. Like that's fully embracing the fact that this is the stuff we had to say. This is our content, but we do understand maybe you're only interested in it in the, the AFLW recap. So that's finishes here, or maybe you're only here for the, for the interview. So that starts at this point and finishes at this point. And surely you can put those timestamps in a, in the description, um, hmm. a way to do it, to make it more user-friendly. I think, yeah, I don't know. I think now is the time to experiment with these things. Um, and apart from the fact that I'm tired as buggery, um, <laughs> I, I, I enjoy talking about it for longer. And I think it gets, we, we yeah, hit our stride when we go for longer and don't cut mm. ourselves off and don't limit ourselves and worry, oh, someone might be 
getting not interested or who someone didn't like when we when we talk about this stuff or, or this segment um yeah i think oh. i think we should embrace it fully that it's the three of us doing what the three of us do when we talk about something yeah and that's it's the john cats podcast i'm sure if you're not a john cats fan you're probably like, oh that i thought they're doing is talking about the cats was what about the other team well we're doing it for ourselves mainly. And if and... you were a Lockie Neal fan that somehow is listening tonight, yeah. I think you're probably not listening to yeah. us next week. <laughs> and if Back you do it. listen to us next week, we still think Lockie Neal is a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> There's some consistency in presentation yep. for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. Like, I'm, I'm, I think, I think, I'm happy to, for it to take. As you said, I think it's a valid point about the format and, and that you don't, this is, this is the beauty of podcasting is it doesn't have to adhere to archaic, um, you know, archetypes kind of thing. It doesn't have to fit mm-hmm. one form or another. I, I think, you know, we can hit all the things we, you know, that we want to hit. Like I, I really enjoy, you know, the sports podcast I listen to when you get into that analysis and that sort of thing and so to be able to go deeper on that sort of stuff and and talk more broadly about it um i think is interesting and i would love to get you know your takes on the uh a deeper take on the snyder the snyder verse stuff so <laughs> maybe it's a different podcast altogether but um yeah yeah well i think that's yeah i think i'm gonna put the intro the outro music in here but uh, i think that's a good yeah it's a good point to to end on to think about and we'll certainly see what and we'll see everyone next week for the 12 hour live stream that's, that's, right. <laughs> that's right if if you want to listen to more of us well go to wherever you're listening to this and go back into the archives and listen to the other nine episodes we've done go on facebook go on twitter then go listen. on instagram like us, follow us, support us, give us a rating, all that sort of stuff. Into tomorrow episode once it comes out, mm. that was fantastic. I'm ex- yeah. I'm excited to listen to it, lads. Thursday ah, night. Bring it on. Go cats. Finger guns. For all the audience <laughs> listeners, I'm doing finger guns. <laughs> We're having a finger gun off. Let's all do the finger guns. It's all time. That's it. Oh boy. I, I can't wait to get the. Oh yeah, oh, sorry, we're still finger gunning. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. You stop, you stop. You've you got weasels. You've got weasels on it. What's Oh, me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the jiggles. The jiggles. <laughs> It's like that standoff scene from The Office. It's just finger guns. Yeah. Everywhere. This is why I'm so glad we're doing a visual medium. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should just post this on YouTube. Yeah. We need to start adding this. Yeah, listen to the episode so you can't see this. <laughs> <laughs> That's bloody fantastic though, isn't it? It's reverse, reverse marketing. Yeah. All the finger guns. I love that we always leave whatever we're talking about in over this outro music. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's great. Perfect. <laughs>
Well, it's not like there's there's credits for people to be reading. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should do like I uh... have some audio credits.